0: This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com.
1: On the phone, we had former Florida State Seminole and Oakland Raider. He didn't get a chance to play in L.A. because they were just in Oakland back at that time. Fred Bolitnikoff. How you doing, Fred? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Great. So I see you were born in Pennsylvania, and then you went to College of Florida State. How did you make the transition from Pennsylvania to Florida? How did Penn State avoid getting you to play for them? Oh uh, <laughs> well,
0: but, but Turner always told me he missed. But anyway, but uh, no, Ken Myers, who was coaching in the, uh, Florida State at the time. It was from Erie, Pennsylvania. He had an aunt and uncle that lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. And, uh, one of our coaches on the team, Ray Dombrowski, they were good friends, so basically that's how I ended up down at Florida State, because Ken came up and watched us practice in the spring, and, uh, he and Ray were good friends, so, uh, so Ray recommended me to Ken. So Ken came out and watched us work out and everything. And that's eventually how I got down to Florida State with Ken, through Ken Myers.
1: So it wasn't Burt Reynolds recruiting you? No. <laughs>
0: no. No, it wasn't. I don't know. I might have wanted to stay away from him. He's too wild for me. <laughs>
2: So, Bill Peterson was the head coach, but the M's coach, I believe, was a guy named Bobby Bowden. Whatever happened to him?
0: That's what I I always tell Bobby. I said, you would have never been famous if you weren't my receiver coach at that time. But, uh, yeah, Bobby was my coach at the time. You know, Bill Peterson, like you said, was our head coach. And, uh, you know, we had had a pretty good coaching staff at the time and uh, a lot of... a pass oriented type of uh, guys in the uh, philosophy that that uh, all these guys were used to as far as throwing the football and so uh they re- they recruited a lot of us from uh, not only like for me from Erie but guys from New Jersey, New York, and Ohio so we had a, they built up a pretty good core of guys to to bring down there to to do what they wanted to do as far as passing wise and Bill was always a good friend to Sid Gilman who bill spent a lot of time out in San Diego at the training camp with with, uh, with Sid to get the passing game that he wanted. And so that's kind of how everything fell in place there.
1: Because Florida State was one of the few teams that would pass the ball because at that time it was basically, what, run from the I formation?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you, exactly. Because, you know, when, when I first started them, my first two years prior to them uh, really installing the passing game, uh, like we ended up doing like a pro-style offense, if you were a receiver away from the call, you lined up like a tight end. you lined up tight so so you had to do both work work as not only as a wide receiver but even lined up as a tight end, so you had to go through all the same drills that the tight ends had to go to and get beat up in there like they did so uh it was it was pretty interesting you know people a lot of people don't know that you know that's the way it was structured at that time. So my freshman and sophomore year, uh, that's basically the type of offense we ran, which is, you know, like it was like a tight formation with one wide receiver split out wide and the other wide receiver lined up tight all the time. So it was a pretty interesting camp that you had to go through, summer camps and, and the games and uh, all that stuff because you really had to uh, do all the blocking and all the drills along with your wide receiver drills. So it was, it was, uh, it was you know, you got beat up pretty good a lot. You know, it makes you a lot tougher, though.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, you know it was like a couple years earlier that uh, who was Pete Dawkins at Army split out wide and as a flanker and things like that and it was almost revolutionary. Yeah, they called.
0: I think I think they called it the term with the lonesome end when they right. put Pete out there. Yeah, yeah.
2: And nowadays with all the spread offenses, you know, people don't remember those days when you know. Okay, the guys were. Receiver- oh,
0: now you know. Now you have to. Yeah, you know, even, even, uh, like years ago when I first started with the Raiders, you know, you could have, you could get away with just, you know, having four wide receivers active, uh, you know, on a roster for the games. But now, you know, nowadays, God, you, you probably have to have at least six. <laughs> so, so there's room for plenty of, of wide receivers in professional football nowadays because they've really, uh, really made it a point with the slot receivers in there, basically taking the place of a tight end or a back out of the backfield to run routes where you get up the field in the seat. Teams and across the field, so it's made it pretty interesting and it's made a, it's given a lot of players' jobs that's what it's really done so but there's a lot of good guys that, that play in there nowadays, so.
1: Did you have a big decision to make when the Raiders drafted you and also the Lions where you wanted to play or was it basically Raiders all the way?
0: When I made the move, you know, from uh, going from Mary all the way down to Tallahassee at that period of time, that was a big move for somebody to go to school that far away. And then at the end of the four years when I got drafted by Detroit and drafted by the Raiders, you know, I, I really had made up my mind that I was going to go out to Oakland and play out in Oakland you know, for Al, and so, you know, so that was a really a hard decision for me, and, and the fact was that, you know, I wanted to kind of get away from the cold and snow and, and all that type of weather and go out to California, which I had the opportunity to do, so I just figured, well, I'll take a shot and, you know, sign with Oakland and go out there. Uh, the passing game was really uh, you know, it was the AFL so they were gonna throw the ball a lot, which is right down, you know, my alley from being my in my last two years at Florida State that we threw the ball quite a bit. And uh so that's the thing that really uh put it over for me as far as signing with the Raiders, going out there and of course Al Davis's influence too, so but uh but yeah, so that that's basically how I made up my mind. So there wasn't any hesitation on my part.
2: So did you have to negotiate your contract with Al Davis and then have him coach you? How did that work? No, he t- he
0: just gave you a contract and it was already the money there. And he already signed it, so he just expected you to put your name on it. So, <laughs> but uh, but no, there, there, you know there was a little bit of negotiation, but at that period of time, you know there you know like Namath and Hewart and some of the other guys, Tucker, Frederickson, you know, they had all gotten big contracts, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we even had a guy named Harry Shu. That was drafted ahead of me in the first round, made pretty good money, but uh, you know it, it was you know it was a decent contract at that time. You know it, it was good a good enough contract. To, when I got to camp, all the veterans uh, on the Raiders were all mad at, at Harry Shue and I because we were making so much money. So <laughs> and, and we still had to go get off season jobs, so <laughs> it wasn't that much but but, yeah, so we even we even went through that period of time, even then back then, but no, there were, there was no negotiation, you know, and everybody at that time would give like two and three year contracts so uh so that that way it worked out well for me.
1: Who was your quarterback? Was it Flores or Lamontic, or were they still going between the two of them?
0: Well, yeah, I started with with Tom Flores and Cotton Davidson and Dick Wood, who had played with the Jets, and Cotton uh, actually played uh, at Baltimore with uh, Johnny Unitas and Raymond Berry for a brief period of time. And so those three guys, with Flores being the starter, were on a roster as far as the quarterbacks, and then after that, uh, Al brought in LaMonica and then blanda, and then afterwards after that was stabler, so yeah, so I had a chance to play with you know with uh seasons you know four well all all the quarterbacks there, even like with uh obviously uh, 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 uh La and blanda and Stabler were the main number year guys that I played with you know and flores and uh, I played with a couple years. And then he had gone, uh, he had left, and then uh, the, so it was just those three. So, you know, all three of those guys, all four of those guys really could throw the football, along with Cotton Davidson and Dick Wood, and Dick Wood came from the Jets.
1: Was there a quarterback that you enjoyed playing with more that basically knew your tendencies and you worked better with? Was it Flores or La Monica or Blanda?
0: Well, you, you know, well, 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 Flores, I was just a young kid. And, uh, I, kn- I didn't really help Tom out. <laughs> it was hit and miss with me. Okay, Tom, uh, throwing me the ball. But anyway, uh, no, everything turned for me, like when he brought LaMonica in, and we were throwing the ball more down the field, and, uh, uh, and, and along with Blanda, because Blanda had come from Houston, which they threw the ball 40, 50 times a game down there with the Oilers. And then, uh, with Kenny coming in, but, uh, no, I, I had a good rapport with basically with, with, you know, with LaMonica and Blanda and, and, and Kenny, you know, because, you know, all three, all three of those quarterbacks, you know, we, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on the field throwing passes, running routes, uh, all that type of thing, you know, so you weren't really, uh, the quarterbacks were used to seeing what all the receivers did because everybody worked with everybody you know, so you weren't just, uh, like, just working with La Monica, you were working with Blanda also, and uh, and then later on, when Kenny came and La Monica left, uh, it was Blanda and, and Kenny, and, uh, you know, you, you spent so much time working with those guys on the field and practice training camp and during the season that, you know, everybody kind of knew how, how, how all the receivers were as far as running routes and what they did, you know, so... It was it was a comfortable situation with all, all the guys that I played with, all the cool quarterbacks I played um, with.
2: Okay, so you're a rookie. Six games into your pro career, you, you're not seeing any action that's flanked. Do you wonder, what's going on here? Am I ever going to get on the field and catch a pass? Oh, no,
0: <laughs> 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 no there, there, was, there was a period of time when I was a rookie in the first preseason game. I, I played in, and I was playing behind Art Powell and Bo Roberson, at that time, we were really two, you know, really outstanding receivers. And then, uh, uh, into the preseason, I wasn't doing very well and dropping balls and, you know, um, Al always wondered why he, why, he, why he drafted me. And so I, I struggled for my, you know, first year and then, uh, he traded Bo Roberson away and, uh, to allow me to be the starter across to Mark Powell. You know, so that's basically what happened there, and then into the season, uh, the, the following season is when I, I, you know, I had my knee torn up, so that wasn't you know, wasn't very good as far as that was concerned. But uh, but yeah, so I, I went through that, and so that's that's eventually how I how I ended up starting with uh, without trading Bo Roberson away.
2: Now, most people know you as number 25, but when you came to the Raiders and Claude Gibson had that number and you were number 14, what point were you able to say, okay, I want to be number 25?
0: When, when, when Al let Claude go. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, Al, when Al cut Claude, that opened up the number for me, and so I was able to get my, my college number. But, you know, I, I just, uh, Dick Romanski, our, our, our equipment guy, uh it gave me the number 14 and it was probably the worst jinx number I ever had in my life you know uh so uh so once once when Claude got let go uh and the the number was the number 25 was open that's how I eventually got number 25 so yeah then everything started going better for me
1: <laughs> what was super bowl 11 like for you
0: well you know it was it was uh you know something that you know we had been using the term knocking on the door every year in championship games, losing close championship games, and always getting to the point where we had an opportunity uh, to get to Super Bowls. But you know we were you know, there was always something. You know, it's almost like we were jinxed some way. Something always happened. You know, like in, in Pittsburgh or wherever it may be. Uh, that just prevented us from, uh, getting to the Super Bowl all the time. So when we finally got there, when we finally got there, you know, we were, we were a, a well well, you know, a well-seasoned team. We had a lot of, you know, we were all veterans at the time. You know, we we're all, uh, I don't want to say, ba- you know, a, a lot of us were basically at the end, towards the end of our career, maybe another year or so after the Super Bowl. But, uh, the whole group that we had at that time, kind of grew together for a good period of time so we had a lot of veterans that that had a lot of experience so you know we were we we're always we we're always pretty confident team as far as knowing what we could do and the players that we had because we had a tremendous amount of great players on the team that had offense defense special teams you know you can go down and, and uh, you know look at all the guys and it was unbelievable roster that we had at that time but you know going down there and playing in Pasadena we were, we had over a hundred thousand people, and uh, beating you know Minnesota, highly touted out of the NF- NFC. You know it was uh, it was, it was it was pretty pretty awesome. I'll tell you that it was really good, and I liked it too because you know I I have a lot of uh, sentiment the way I was brought up in professional football because you know as I said earlier when I first got to the Raiders, I was a young kid making at that time good money. Gave okay, more money than the veterans, so I knew how that went. And I knew how the veterans were, and and I really thought a lot about afterwards. You know, after we beat Minnesota, you know, about all those guys that I played with when I was young that were older, came from the NFL. They were NFL rejects from uh, from the NFL, you know, NFL, the old NFL teams, that were playing football in the AFL, and how they didn't have that opportunity to you know get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. You know, so. You know, so that 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 really crossed my mind a lot because I had a lot of close ties with those guys and and they really brought me up in a tough way and and a very a very a very good you know guidance as far as you know being able to you know play tough and you know be be a tough guy out there and really have a great work ethic and and seeing what those guys did and how they worked you know what what it took to be a professional football player especially. We had a lot of veterans when I was a kid, first coming to the Raiders on the team at that time.
2: At what point did you say to yourself, not only can I play this game, but I can be among the elite players in the league? Uh,
0: I guess, uh, oh, I guess, don't, oh, I don't know. I guess, I guess it, it came to the point where uh, just prior to me getting hurt, I was starting to play pretty well, you know, and, and doing some good things as a young kid. You know, and coming, you know, going through the system and having my time on a bench and you know, watching people play and, you know, just having uh, a good toughness, you know, from my background in Pennsylvania and playing down at Florida State and being brought up in an atmosphere that I was brought up with the Raiders. And after I came back from that injury, then things started to fall in place a little bit more because now I knew that I learned that. You know, this was a game where you know, if if you get hurt and can't make it back, or if you get hurt and can't go out there on the field, you know, you weren't going to play, you know, and you had to have that type of attitude. And when, once I really understood that, basically, you know, football was a business, you know, and and you know that football game that you had, that was back when you were a kid in the backyards in Erie, Pennsylvania. That was that was football and. You know, you enjoyed playing it there, but now that you were into a business, and if you wanted to survive, you really had to go at it and work at it and be professional at it, you know. So it was probably into my, you know, my third year that I finally really started coming around as a receiver and and feeling that, you know, I could play with the people that, you know, we had on our team against the people and compete with the guys we had on our team at, at the, you know, receiver position, and then competing against the guys in a league, you know, you know, as far as who you're going to play against.
1: When John Madden was your coach, was he as crazy on the sidelines as he was on TV with diagramming plays and yelling and screaming? <laughs> yeah, John kept it pretty active
0: there. You know, John John was a great coach. He was, uh, you know, he was a great motivator. He the the one great thing about John that that is always in, in my mind was that you know he knew each player individually. He knew how to handle them individually, even though he had a whole slew of players that he had to handle. But he knew everything about each player on his team. And he handled you accordingly, you know. If you needed to be, you know, if you needed to be, sort of say, reprimanded about something or, you know, have him be the head coach and be tough on you and demand things from you, he did. You know, then there were times where he was not easy on you but uh, wanted you to make sure that you were competing. And he was there as a coach and uh, to make sure you did that, you know. And, you know, John, John was really unique in being able to, to be a head coach, handle that many guys in that manner, and, and really, really understand what he had as a team and uh, what he had to do as a head coach. And uh, John was tough. You know, John was a a tough guy to play for, but he was a fair guy to play for. You know, you you go out there, you practice hard, uh, you go out there, you you play, you spend time working on on whatever position you're playing, working at that position. And uh, John appreciated that. John was a terrific guy to play for.
2: Was there a defensive back that would give you more trouble than the rest of the guys in the league? Oh, you know,
0: yeah, you know, like guys like, like like Herb Adderley did because he didn't play against them very often. And, uh, you know, he was a type of really aggressive guy. Jimmy Johnson over at San Francisco well, was a, a very good player because he was tall and rangy, you know, and you really, uh, uh, you know, in that period of time you know, where you know, there were no rules basically, you know, because you know, when those guys came up and played bump and run on you, uh, guys like like you know, Jimmy Johnson, Herb Adderley, you were getting hit all the time. You know, it was a physical game and you had a, you you had to learn to be physical and how to handle the different styles of guys that you were playing at, uh, you know, again, because physically, you know, because physically everybody, they were all different, you know, different sizes, different speed, different quickness, and you had to understand, you know, who you were playing against, you know. So, like, Herb was always tough, I mean, tough, and and Jimmy Johnson was, and uh, Jimmy Marcellus was was a tough guy in Kansas City, you know, Bobby Howard was a good player down in San Diego. You know, so there were a lot of good players in a league uh that you that you played against when they played bump and run and it was just a physical game, you know, you just had to learn that. You know, you you, you just couldn't let somebody get out there and dominate you. You know, you just had to keep fighting and fighting and fighting. But those guys, those guys are you know, I I still have them in my memory, believe me. <laughs>
1: When we talked to former Raider players, every one of them said they love Al Davis. He was extremely loyal to his players. And it seemed like his coaches, too, because, if, I mean, he went through head coaches a lot in the last 10, 15 years. But as the assistant coaches, they all, he always had you, Willie Brown, the same assistant coaches, no matter who the head coach was.
0: With us, with Willie and I, Al had a philosophy about how he liked his receivers to be. And he knew I knew what he wanted in, in that going in that area, and what, what uh, you know what what would need to be done with the receivers. And Willie was the same with the defensive backs. You know, Al had a philosophy about defensive backs how they should play, and Willie was the example. Like I was the example with the receivers. So Al I wanted to keep that uh, consistent, you know, because they, that was a big priority on our teams. Was a defensive backs and a wide receiver. So he wanted a lot of consistency in there. So he just, he kept Willie and I, fortunately for us, you know, all those years being able to coach for him. And, and, uh, so that's basically, you know, why Willie and I basically were were there all those years because of Al's philosophy on those two positions.
2: When you retired, did you say to yourself, I'm a pro football Hall of Famer someday? You know what? I'll tell you
0: you know that's that's funny because now because you you know even back when I got drafted people were getting drafted but people didn't make a whole big deal out of it you know what I'm saying you felt that if you got drafted by somebody you were pretty fortunate you know now there goes there's a whole program before the draft and guys knowing where they're going and and all that stuff you know before their names even called and the, the teams are there so things are kind of set in those first couple rounds but uh the Hall of Fame was basically the same way, you know, uh, you didn't really understand it, you you didn't know uh, really how you got there, what the procedure was of getting there, you know, the only thing you knew is that, you know, the writers in your area were basically the ones that promoted you, you know, to the the rest of the committee uh, to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, you know, so... You had to depend, you know. You had to depend on the writers in your area, you know, promoting you. You know, so when that happened with me, you know, it was like, oh wow, you know. But prior to that, you know, every year you you get to a certain stage and the voting and all that type of thing. So, you know, when it happened to me, it was, you know, it was like, you know, you you think about you're in you know, a hall of fame, but then when you finally go there for the ceremony. It's it's a whole different perspective and a whole different outlook and a whole different feeling other than when you first find out you're going into the Hall of Fame, you know, when you're actually there physically and seeing everybody that's already in the Hall of Fame and the guys that, you know, fortunately there were guys that I still remembered and they were still alive that played for Cleveland, the Eagles, you know, Pittsburgh, all, all that stuff back years ago when I was a kid. You know that I got to see, that I got to be around, that I never had a chance to be around before. You know, and being in the Hall of Fame with them is just, you know, just unbelievable. You know, the group is, you know, it's not a very big group, you know, and that that's that's the whole, that's the that, the, the the great thing about it. You know, you're part of a, a very very small elite group of guys. You know that, uh you know, I don't know, I don't know how much uh, I, I I've always felt that. Uh, you know, getting recognized as a guy in a Hall of Fame—it's—it's. Uh, it's, uh, sometimes I think it's the, the recognition that you get from it is—is—is is, is not enough. You know, I've always felt that way. From from you know, after a number of years being in the Hall of Fame, and you get to see a lot of things go on. That being in a Hall of Fame isn't uh, recognized enough. Of, of what that group uh, what that group means to professional football.
1: It seems like the Hall of Famers are a tight-knit group because I was there last year and the parties and they're mm-hmm. all sitting there and talking. But I just hope that some of these younger players realize what it means to be in the Hall of Fame because a couple of years ago when Emmitt Smith went in and Jerry Rice, I think they kind of forgot because they're charging $500 just for their autograph, whereas the other guys were charging 30 40 where it was affordable for the fans.
0: Well, you know, that's that that's what you get with the Times. You know, that's what you get with uh agents, that's what you get with with, with guys the new guys coming into the Hall of Fame and they're and they're not all that way. You know, but, but the guys that are in the Hall of Fame already, you know, heck yeah, they want people to enjoy it and be around and you know, you you get their autograph, they don't want to hold people up. I mean people can only afford so much, you know, and they want everybody to have your autograph, you know, what people charge. You know, like you're talking about the lower money. You know that that's fair. And you know sometimes it's you know you talk. You know we should be getting more, should be getting more. But you know you, you go you go in in around around this country, and you know you try to you try to make things. You know if you're going and getting your selling your autograph, you know you you, you try to make it where everybody can afford it. You know, and, and and do it that way. But you know, we uh, listen. I know we've run into it too. Believe me. <laughs> but yeah, no, I understand exactly what you're saying, and it's kind of it's kind of put. Uh, I don't want to say a bad taste in everybody's mouth, but it's it's it. Guys are aware of it. Let me put it that way. Let me put it a nice way. Hall of Fame guys are aware of of what other Hall of Fame guys do. So. That's when probably you were, the easiest way I can put it. Yeah.
2: When you were a kid, did you have an NFL team that you followed? The yeah, Warriors? I followed.
0: Uh, I followed the Eagles with Tommy McDonald. That, that that was that was my guy. Tommy McDonald. He still doesn't believe me. You know. <laughs> I told him. I told him. Listen, I said when I went to Florida State, I said I I, I got number twenty five because you were my hero. I love watching you play. That's why I got number twenty five. He said he didn't believe me. You know. So. He still hasn't sent me a signed jersey either, so <laughs> whatever. Yeah, but no, that's, 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 that was my guy, Tommy McDonald.
1: What I don't get is Tom Flores. They keep promoting that Jimmy Johnson belongs in the Hall of Fame and Bill Parcells is going in, they're saying, in 2013. Tom Flores won two Super Bowls. He was an excellent coach. Why is he not in?
0: In, in my thought, that's just a total embarrassment. You know that that he's not in there, and uh, and the consideration for him is uh, I don't you know what I I don't know, and, and you know when you see every year people's names coming up, there's a sprinkling of Tom around you know, with his name, which it should be right there at the top of the list, you know, because even like last year's group that went into the Hall of Fame, you know, it's a good group. It's from, you know, guys from the years before and everything, but, you know, Tom deserves to be in that Hall of Fame without a doubt. You know, that's, that's a crime, really.
2: Is there one catch from your career that, that's a favorite of yours? Yeah, you know, it, when we played
0: Miami... And uh, in, a, in a playoff game in Oakland, I had one catch down in the, in the corner of the end zone, right by the goal line uh, against Tim Foley. That was a pretty good catch. <laughs> I, don't, I don't say that too often about myself, but that you know, uh, I see that every once in a while, or see a picture of it every once in a while, and I go, you know, that's a pretty pretty hell of a catch.
2: Now I'm looking at the uh, website for the Belitnikov Award. And it's it describes you as having deceptive speed. Is that deceptively fast or deceptively slow? <laughs>
0: I, I don't know. So you know. So you know what he had. When you have to pay bills it all it all depends you know <laughs> when you have to pay bills and child support you know you you find ways to get get down that field pretty quick and so the deception is just the word everybody else uses i've I'm, I'm I always thought hey i'm fighting for my life out here you better get going right now but uh no i don't, i don't know you know what uh you, you know it's it's you know there were times you know you look and you look at yourself on film and, and you go and And see yourself moving a little faster than you think you could move, and I think it's just the fact of of, uh, you know you just have that competitive spirit, you know, and and you you know it's it's uh, it's a gift that you know when you're an athlete, every athlete has a gift, you know. Some some of us don't have all the gifts, but at times we're able to to pick up enough. Go forward and do and do some, do something exciting and something good that uh, that that we can that we we're, were proud of ourselves at you know and in playing in football uh, all those years you know there's times where I looked I said oh hell you know I'm not that slow but uh, other times I looked and said oh hell you are slow <laughs> so so it it, it it juggled back and forth quite a bit in my career believe
1: me. One last question. Did what do you what are you involved with now? Now they try to the coaching.
0: Oh, you know what? Well, we have our foundation that's for high uh, risk kids that we've had. You know, and it's named after. You know, it was, it was started because of my daughter Tracy, who was, you know, murdered. You know, back in '99, and so we started a foundation. You know, with, with uh, for kids, high risk kids. You know, for uh, drugs and alcohol and, and you know abuse and. You know try to help out kids with single you know single mothers and and try to uh, uh, raise money for for different groups to help kids go through you know if, it, if it's alcohol problems or alcohol programs or uh, dr, you know drug programs whatever it may be you know we don't we donate a lot of money you know we're not a big foundation we have a uh, you know we make enough money each year with our, our different events you know we have an event coming up April 29th at Ruby Hills Golf Course down in Pleasanton, California, in 2013, that will be our 11th, go- 11th year golf tournament. You know, so uh, we just got done with the crab feed that we raised money in uh, in November down in the Bay Area, which was our heck of 12th, I believe, crab feed. So, so it's going going along really well. You know, we we have about seven or eight uh, programs that we donate money to. We give anywhere between four and five scholarships out each year to kids, uh, to kids that have come through, uh, you know, real trials and tribulations and, 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 and made a mark, and in high school got accepted to a college. And uh, we, we go through a whole process of uh, looking at resumes. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be an athlete; it could be just a student, you know, female or male. And uh we help them out. We give you know four or five twenty five hundred dollars scholarships out each year so so we're able to make an impact with a lot of kids and and fund a lot of programs that you know that we've been doing for for a number of years so we're we're proud of our foundation and the way it's going and you know my wife works over year round on it so you know we're we're going in a pretty good direction, and like like every foundation, you, you know you you keep working at it, working at it, and it slowly grows and grows. So we're in a great position, you know, and it's starting to grow a little bit more each year financially for us. That you know in a few years we're going to be able to to actually uh, you know buy our own house for kids and 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 get a staff to run a nice program for kids.
2: That'll wrap up another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with. David Spada and Elliot Harris. I'd like to thank our guests, Corey Kellogg of the Chicago Crave of the Bikini Basketball Association and Pro Football Hall of Famer, former Oakland Raiders receiver, Fred Belitnikoff as our guest. I'd like to thank our executive producer, Dave Olson, and tune in again next time.